Let's open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians, book of Galatians, chapter 6. Book of Galatians, chapter 6. We're going to be picking back up and finishing. Anyone who needs a Bible, raise your hand, and the usher will be happy to make sure you have a Bible in hand. Uh, so we follow verse by verse. I don't want you to miss along there and take your notes, especially you students, uh, pencil pushers, you that uh, take lots of notes. I'll try to slow down so you guys can take some of the references I give so you can follow along. But, uh, but yes, uh, Galatians chapter 6, and we will pick, be picking back up in verse 11, and we will finish uh, the chapter today uh, and the finishing the book today, uh, which is uh, what a blessing it is to go through another book. Let's read. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hands. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to become circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walked according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So as we take a look here, the topic or the the kind of the theme is a marked man. We see here in chapter 6, chapters 5 and 6, was all about the practical application of the justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way you can get saved. It's the only way you're going to go to see the Father in heaven is by having a personal relationship, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, period. You cannot add or delete from that, or that is not Christianity. That is not how you're saved. And he lays it out very practically in chapters 5 and 6. And in 6, if you remember, there was different sections we took. We foresaw that we are to see others humbly. As we walk as a Christian, as a child of God, we are to look at other people's very humbly because we know we are at the same risk of falling to those same temptations and same sins. Remember, we're sinners saved by grace. And God has forgiven us because we've, we've repented and we've, given our, we've turned our lives over to Jesus Christ to be saved, to have an eternal life. And with that, you look humbly upon other people's lives who are falling in sin and you say, God, that was me or God, that could be me. How can I reach that person and help them to understand how to have that personal relationship with Jesus? And then we saw we are to see ourselves honestly. We are to examine ourselves. We are to look honestly inside and say, where am I? Where's my walk with God? Am I simply like a childlike heart, simply living for Christ and sold out for him? Or am I compromising in my life because I want it to, the package deal the way I want it to be? 
And then we saw we are to see our leaders, our Christian leaders, as with compassion and appreciative sense of appreciation for what God is doing in their lives to help you in your walk with Christ. And today we'll see, we'll see the cross clearly. We must see the cross of Jesus Christ clearly in our minds so that there is no deception that can come from others or from religiosity or from the, the way the world would like to mislead you and take your eyes off the cross of Christ and put them on yourself or put it on some religion or put it on some movement or some social gathering, but on the cross of Christ. And Paul here finishes in the end of this epistle, this letter, his final thoughts. And it's very loving counsel that he gives. The last of any letter is usually a summary of what he's try you or he is trying to get across to the reader. And to us, it's a loving counsel of, to take note of how we are to live as a child of God. And he starts in verse 11 with, as he says, see you must see this. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hands. A passion from Paul. The Apostle Paul with such passion. Because remember in those times, they, they, God would use uh, Paul and would speak through Paul. But Paul and the other writers didn't write it. He usually used a secretary to actually write down methodically, verse, uh, uh, word by word, that God had given Paul to write down on paper. And the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit was moving through Paul and giving the words, and those secretaries would sit there and they would write this down. But here, and like many of the other letters that Paul has, has written, we see that at the very end, he takes that pen, he takes that ink, and he actually writes it with his own hand to make sure that the readers understand this is from him and not from anyone else. Because it was said that there are many times people would write letters and say, oh, Church, you need to read this because this is from Paul. No, they weren't. They were from false teachers. They were false people trying to mislead the people in the name of Paul. So Paul made it very clear when he wrote letters, he made sure it was his signature in some way to closure on those letters so it was clear that it was coming from Paul, the apostle himself, and not someone else. And we see that a custom of standard signature there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It was a very uh, common closure that Paul would use in, in his other letters. And two, with this letter, he was concerned, making sure that he, with passion, shows, look with the large letters. Why the large letters? Why is he saying, look at these large letters? This is written from my own hand. Why is that? Well, commentators will argue and debate over what that meant. It doesn't matter. It, the fact is, is that Paul wrote the letter. It doesn't matter if he had an eye disease that we saw early on in, in, chap, in Galatians and other places where the, that thorn in the flesh that people reference even in 2 Corinthians when we studied 2 Corinthians where he had eye trouble. So, of course, there are going to be large letters to be able to write. Or the fact that these large letters were an emphasis, like we use our capital letters when you're doing our texting. Don't do it all in capital letters because people think you're yelling. You know, sometimes the capital letters emphasizes the point you're trying to make. 
But either way, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit was moving and working through Paul to make sure that you and I and the readers of that time, those Galatian churches, understood his final thoughts, his, his compassionate, loving counsel that he wanted to make sure they understood. And the Holy Spirit inspired him to add these closing words so that we did not miss a key and valuable point. He had shown them through this letter that a believer living under the law and the believer living under grace and the diametrical opposing, opposing uh, fronts of that, they're like butting heads. Those two cannot go together and you cannot mix the law, following the law of Moses and be following the, the grace of God. You cannot put those two together. As many people try to, to have a live by grace, but at the same time have all these rules and regulations, these legalities that creep into the church and cause a bondage to the people. But he wanted to make sure it was clear that these are not different doctrinal opinions between two people, which is typically the case when you have a legalist or someone who tries to sway you away from the grace of God, they bring in, oh, it's a, just a different a doctrinal opinion. My opinion and your opinion, they're just different opinions. No, they're opposing opinions. They do not go together. And you cannot mix. Make it and keep it very clear. There are two ways of life. You can live under the, as Paul said in Galatians 5, 1 through 12, you can choose to live in bondage under the law, or you can live to choose in liberty by grace. You can choose to live by the flesh, or you can lose, choose to live by the spirit when he talked about that in chapters 5, 13 through 26. You can live for self, or you can live for others. We saw that in the first part of chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. There's choices that you and I make as a child of God. Do you choose liberty? Do you choose to live by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit? Do you choose to live for others or do you choose to live for yourself? And today, at the end of the Ed letter here, he gives a fourth contrast for you and I to understand and make a choice of. And that is, will we choose to praise of men or will you choose to the glory of God? Do you want to be praised by men? Do you want to praise men or do you want to glorify and praise God? That is a choice that you and I make daily. And here he, Paul is dealing with the motive. His loving counsel is the motive. There's no greater need in our churches today, my brothers and sisters, today for us to examine the motives of our ministries. We know what we are doing. It's easy for us to know what we're doing if someone asks you, what has God called you to do in the ministry? I am called to teach the children. I am called to serve coffee. I'm called to clean the toilets. I'm called to share the gospel. I'm called to help someone move. Whatever the God has called you to do, you know what to do. The question is, is not what you do. What is the motive behind why you do it? That is what Paul is saying. What is your motive in serving God? Is it just to bring attention to yourself? Is it to get your opinions, your political opinions across? What is it that drives you? It should only be driving you by, based on the cross of Christ. That is all it should drive you. And no one else. No religious movement. No 
historical church background should motivate you to serve your God. But the love that you have for him because he, he first loved you. He died for you. And because he died for you to give you eternal life, your natural response is to lovingly just serve with an abandoned life to Christ and for others. So why do we serve? Why do we come to church? Why do we have these ministries that God's called us to do? Why do you even talk about God to other people? Why? Don't tell me what you do. Just tell me why you do it. Sit with the right heart. Because remember, a great saying I've written down, and I've said it over and over times, a good work is spoiled by a wrong motive. So many people want to taunt all the things they're doing for God. But sadly, to be mistaken, they're doing it with the wrong motive. And when they get to heaven and when they're faced with God face to face and he sits there and brings the fire down and purges, anything that is not of him with the right motive will be just burned away. All that time and money and energy that you do with the wrong motive will result in nothing for you for eternity. Yes, you're saved. That's not a question. But your rewards will be slim. So Paul approaches this delicate subject. And we see three different marked men today. Three different marked men that Paul talks about today. The first one is the legalist. Verses 12 and 13. Then we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ in, in verses 14 through 16. And then we're going to see the loyalist, the the Apostle Paul himself in verses 17 and 18. See, the legalists, as we've been studying, wanted to bring bondage back to the Galatian believers through circumcision. Yes, you know Jesus Christ, but you still need to get circumcised. Yes, you as a Gentile, you know Jesus Christ, but you need to keep the Sabbath and these dietary rules. Everything from the law of Moses, you need to still follow these things. Trying to bring them back into the religious bondage. It's called legalism. And Paul takes this up and relates it to the work of the cross of Christ. And he brings his own ministry as an example into this. To bring them and say it's not about the law. It is about the grace of God. The cross of Calvary. Now look at the legalist. He says here in verses 12 and 13, he says, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. So Paul points out the very first marked man, these legalists. These people who are trying to bring you back into the bondage of religion. Paul does not have any good, anything good to say about the legalists. And he highlights him and he describes the type of a, what a legalist looks like. Their behaviors and what their language and what they, their motive is behind what they do. And he makes it very clear for us and you and I to know what we see as a legalist so that we will avoid and not listen to them. And so he lovingly counsels them 
This is what a marked man of a legalist looks like. And he says, the very first thing he says is, they're really a boasters. They boast about what they're doing in their, their work for God. They're constantly boasting. We see that right in the very beginning. Their desire is to make a show. Look at me. Look at what I do. I want to do this. I want to get up there. I want to do that. Everyone looking at me? Look what I've accomplished. Have you accomplished that much? What is God doing in you? Oh, it's crazy, even at pastor's conferences. It's the most craziest things. One of the first things, someone who doesn't seem to be walking with the Lord, they'll have to, how big is your congregation? Or how many people are going to your church? They're always talking about the numbers. The numbers don't count. The people is what counts. It's the, it's the close, loving fellowship. It's not about the numbers. It's about the people. That's what matters. Boasting what God's doing in the lives of the people. That's what we want to boast about. And what God is doing. Not what you've done. But that's what a legalist does. Their main purpose was not to win people to Christ. Or even help the believers grow in grace. Their chief purpose as a legalist is to win more converts to themselves. And so that they can brag about how many followers they have. We have this veneer, this fine impression about the outward. But their inward is no Gouda. Bad. It's rotten to the core. Their work was not done for the good of the church or for the glory of God. It was done for their own glory and for their own self-interest. Those are those are interesting marks of a legalist and you are to avoid them like the plague. Or you'll be misled just as they were misleading the believers in Galatia. Now, it's not wrong for us to go out and share the gospel. That's what we're called to do. The works of the evangelism. Go out and share the good news of how God saved you by his grace. And by his passion and love for you. He's given you a way for eternal life. You must share the good news to those who are dying in hopeless lives. Who are dying in their sin and wallowing and just spiraling out of control. And they have no hope and no place to turn. They've charmed to the drugs and alcohol and sex and pornography. They've tried it all. But they're still empty. There's still no direction. There's still no hope for a future. And you have the answer to share the love of Christ that God went to the cross and died on for their sins. Just turn your life over to them. Repent and change their life. Go to him and he'll change your life. So there's nothing wrong with us to go out to win people to Christ or to see the work of the Lord increase. It is definitely wrong to want those blessings to come back to you and glory you and man. That's the problem. How many people have you led to Christ this week? That's legalism. That's legalism talk. And we have to avoid that. See, we want to see more people sharing in our ministries. Not to bring attention to yourself. Because what will happen is if you go down that legalistic path, you will turn because it's all about you, you will start using people. And that cannot happen. You cannot use people. You have to give to people. You're willing to share, to help people, not use and take advantage of people. 
that is not of Christ. Not only are they boasters, we see here also in verse 12 that these legalists are manipulators. The word constraint or compelled, or and the word compel here is also the word constraint. It means this very, very strong persuasion or even by even a forceful way of, of coming across to people. The force against, is not so much forcing people against their own will, but they're just very, um, uh, what's the word, I think, uh, like a sales pitch type person. They give you the sales pitch to convert, can get, convince you to do things they want you to do for them or to do for something so that they get their personal gain. These are manipulators. They have very strong indications or persuaders to convince these Galatian believers that legalism was the way to go, not just putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone, but you really needed to also follow these, these uh, past traditions and, and methods and, and rituals. These, you have to do these things because that's the way you can get really please God if you do these things. And these manipulators, these legalists, will try to sway you to get back into the bondage of those things. To think that's how you please God. But Paul is our perfect example, is he not? He presented the word of God. He presented the word of God in truth and with sincerity. And he used no tricks, no oracle tricks, no, no persuasion tricks that a debater uses. But Paul just shared the word of God to his listeners, to those who God brought in front of him. He was able to spare the truth in. He wasn't some politician trying to win some position. He was an ambassador representing Christ. There's a difference between a politician and an ambassador. And we need to be ambassadors sent out by God into this fallen world to share the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did for them on the cross. Not only are they boasters, not only are they manipulators, but they're also compromisers. We see that in the end of verse 12. They, 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 they preach, they practice these circumcisions and all that, that they went with it to escape persecution, to save their own skin. Did you notice that? They said, hey, you need to know Jesus Christ, but hey, we're going to get in trouble with those back in Jerusalem if you don't follow some of these things like get circumcised. You need to get circumcised so we can report back to the main ship there that you've got a lot of people getting circumcised over here because they're all doing what we're asking them to do. So we're not getting persecuted by those back in Jerusalem. They were just trying to save their own skin. They're just looking for their own gain. They're just looking so that people will look down on them. They're not, being, they're not being, getting what they want to get. They want to get more converters to themselves. But they're compromisers. Paul wasn't a compromiser. Paul preached the grace of God and the salvation apart from the works of the law, and he was persecuted. We saw that in Galatians 5.11. He didn't care if people were going to persecute him. But these legalists did. They weren't going to just preach just justification by faith alone. What were people going to think? They're going to come against us. I might not get invited to the, the, the synagogue for a party. I may not be able to be, be, able to be part, the part of a council. I might actually lose my job if I don't get these people to do this. I don't want to get persecuted for my faith. But it didn't matter to Paul. 
But these Judaizers tried to make these Christians in Galatia to think that they too were Christians. Hey, we're Christians too. Yeah, we come from Jerusalem. We're coming in here and saying, yes, you need to be, you know Jesus Christ, but you have to also get circumcised. We're Christians. And there's no, nothing new under the sun. Many religions today, you go and have a natural conversation with them, you'll say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you find out they're Mormon or Jehovah Witness or some other religion because they think they're just Christian in general as well. No, they're false teaching. We have to be very careful when people say, oh, I love God. You really love God? Then just say the name Jesus Christ and, and talk about the cross, and you'll know immediately if that person is a believer or not. Don't just talk general today. Because a lot of these false teachings, especially legalists, will talk the lingo with you. But when you get to the cross of Christ, that's where the separation takes place and they will avoid it. Oh, we just differ on the doctrine, opinions. No, you're a legalist. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to focus on the word of God. Don't be a compromiser. Because we are prone so many times in the Christian circles to look at the cross, look at the crucifixion in such a sentimental way. Oh, the cross. And we sing it, oh, the cross. And we get all teary-eyed. But does your tears draw the fact that it's just sentimental or the fact that you really understand the cross and how wicked the cross and that method of death was? Look at it from the perspective what they're writing here. These people reading this letter wasn't thinking from a sentimental issue. No Roman citizen, no one would sit there and say, oh, the cross, the crucifixion. No, that it was shameful to even talk about. It was the most shameful way to die is on the cross. And our Lord went and had the most shameful death on the cross for you because he loved you that much. These first century Christians, the cross was nothing beautiful at all. It wasn't some beautiful uh, jewelry you wear around your neck. It's not something you put and tatted on your skin. So, oh, the cross. No one wanted to talk about it. Because if you were associated with the cross, that was nothing but shame and guilt. There's no casual conversation when it came during this time about the cross. But Paul didn't care. He put his trust, his full life trust in Christ on the cross. He identified himself with the cross and he took the consequences that came with it. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, remember the reference to the Jews, the cross was a stumbling block, and to the Gentile, it was foolishness. And Paul says, I preach the cross of Christ. It's foolishness to non-believers. It's a stumbling block for you religiosity type people. But from the scriptures and what's truth, it is not. It is everything. Because the legalists, they wanted to emphasize circumcision, not crucifixion. They were looking to win many converts because how many people are going to come to Christ if they know they possibly are going to go to the cross and be nailed to, to the tree? 
Oh, that's a good sales pitch, isn't it? Come to Christ, start a relationship with God, and you too will be pinned to the tree. But what do you think is so different today? Why do you think so many churches don't talk about the cross of Christ? Or about hell or about sin? Because that will not bring people to the church and they can't get the money and have a big show. That doesn't draw people. That you have to die of self and die of this world and have no influence of that. And your whole influence is in the cross of Christ. That doesn't bring the people. That doesn't always make you feel good. doesn't always give you the goosebumps. Well, guess what? We are going to hold to the truth of God and understand that is eternal life for us. We're talking about this is not of our world. This is not our home. This is just a vacation gone bad, and we can't wait to go home to be with our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Amen? Amen? So why would you want to hold anything of this world to hold you back of what God has for you in the eternal? Not only are they boasters, not only are they manipulators, not only are they com compromisers, but they're also hypocrites. We see this in verse 13. They want you to submit to the law, these legalists. But they themselves do not obey the law themselves. They pick and choose what they want to believe. Again, no difference today. You'll talk to someone, do you believe in the word and the inherency of the word of God? And most churches today do not believe in the inherency of the word of God. They believe in certain pieces, yes, but other pieces you shouldn't. Some people say, forget the Old Testament. That means that's nothing. It means nothing to us today. It's only in the New Testament. Those are legalists. These are people who are gone astray, and they, we need to pray for them that the God, the Holy Spirit, would work in their lives and then come back to the truth of the whole counsel of God. That's why we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, from the beginning to the end. We want you to know all the truth, to hold on to it, and then go share it with those who've been deceived. And just like these legalists, they were hypocrites. The legalists belonged to the same group as the Pharisees, uh, were just like the Pharisees were in Jesus' day, and Jesus called them out in Matthew 23 at the end of verse 3. He says, for they say and do not do. May we not be legalists where we say one thing, but we don't go do it. We follow through with what we say we're going to do in line with the word of God. Because it pleases our God. It's right. It's good. It's right. You can tell of a marked man, a legalist, by these things. Make note. Paul's saying, loving counsel. Make note, my brothers and sisters. That's what you're talking about. You see those markings on a man? That's a legalist. No touching. The second one, we see in verses 14 through 16. The marked man is Jesus Christ himself. He says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation, being born again. And as many as walk according to this rule, according to the truth of the, the Bible, the, the canon, the, the truth, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God. It's another name for the church. It, Israel means governed by God. Upon the Israel of God. So here Paul sits here and he says, now a mark of Jesus Christ himself. He says, Paul keeps bringing us back to the cross all the way through Galatians. If you go back to chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, God, 40, almost 45 times God is referencing Jesus Christ throughout this letter. 45 times. That's one-third of, of the speaking of, of the verses are referencing Jesus Christ. It is about him. The markings of this of, of Jesus Christ himself the wounds mean the liberty to those who trust him the calvary the wounds of calvary make the mark on Jesus Christ as clear as can be for us and the judaizers wanted to take the eyes off the markings of of a slayed lamb on the cross and take the eyes off of that and put it on to circumcision the law but Paul boasts in a crucified and risen Savior, period. He glorified in the cross. And certainly this does not mean that he glorified in the brutality or the suffering of the cross, but what the love of Christ was willing to do for you and I. He was willing to pay the penalty for your sin. For you personally. That's what Paul was glorified in. In fact, God himself was willing to do that for you because he loves you that much. So Paul, very clearly, why does Paul have such a clarity of who Jesus Christ is, the marked man of Jesus Christ? Those markings, those five-point markings on Jesus. The hands, the, the, the marking on the, each hand and in the foot and the, the crown and the stripes in his back. The five-point markings of a marked man of Jesus Christ. Why did Paul do it? Was it for the, just the markings? No. It wasn't to glorify in the blood and the, and, and, the, and, the, and the stripes. But he knew the person of the cross himself in verse 14. He says, I'm not going to boast in the cross. I'm going to boast in the cross of, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He knew Jesus Christ personally and what he did personally for him on the cross. Do you? Do you sit here today and know Jesus and what he's done for you personally on the cross? Do you believe it? For Paul, Jesus Christ captivated him. He was his all in all. He was his everything. He was number one in his life and no other thing, no other person, no other job, no other skill sets, not even himself was put before Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus Christ and what Christ did on the cross 
for himself. Remember, he was this very well-educated, brilliant Jewish rabbi, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And Paul, in his day as a Pharisee, glorified and glorified of all of his accomplishments and all of his knowledge of religiosity and the law of Moses. He knew it all and he kept it to the T. So he glorified in himself and his abilities and his positions and all these things of religion. You go back to Galatians 1. Go back to Philippians 3, the Philippians we read today. But after he met Jesus Christ on the road to on the road, all of his self-glory turned to rubbish. His past life that he could glorify in and all of his accomplishments and his love me walls and all of his certificates meant nothing compared to Jesus Christ and what he has done for him. Nothing. It's just rubbish. But the legalist, they didn't glorify, they didn't glory in the cross of Christ because they did not glory in Christ himself. They glorified and gloried in Moses or themselves in their religious positions. They are the ones that got the glory. Moses got the glory. Some religious person, some religious saint gets glory from people today. You're only to glory in Jesus Christ and him alone. These legalists didn't really know the person of the cross, but Paul knew the person he had a personal relationship. He knew what he did on the cross for him. The marked man is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not only did he know the person of the cross, but Paul even knew the power of the cross. Remember, he was Saul the Tarsus, religious zealot, zealot upon all zealots. He was crucifying and blaspheming all these Christians, sending them to jail, having them killed, all kinds of things. This guy hated Christians. And to turn around and look and talk about uh, you're going to give your life to a man who died on the cross was foolishness to him. But Paul knew the Messiah. Paul knew the Messiah would come. He knew what the scripture said. The Messiah would be coming. He understood that. He was a Pharisee. He had no doubt that the Messiah was coming. But he would not and could not come around in his own theology to understand the simple truth that the Messiah was Jesus Christ and he had to go and be cursed on the cross. That part he couldn't get. Even though the scripture is simple and straightforward, it did not match his own wisdom. That's why in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Too many times we lean on our own understanding or someone else's teachings and their ways, and that misleads you versus looking at the simple text and understanding it's straight in front of you. But you've been swayed to think falsely, just like Saul the Tarsus could not understand. Because in his mind, the cross was just ultimate weakness and shame. He thought like the world. He allowed the world to come into his life. 
And anytime you act like the world, you let the world come into your life, you will not understand the simple truths of God. And you will not be changed. But Saul of Tarsus experienced the power of the cross. He became born again. His life was regenerated right there. He was kicked off his high horse by God himself. And he's, God revealed himself to, to, to Saul. And now he became Paul the Apostle. Amazing transformed life. Amazing experience by God, him, God revealing to him. And he believed in Jesus Christ as his Savior, the Messiah. And his life was changed. And now the cross no longer is a stumbling block to him as a religious man. Instead, it becomes the very foundational stone that he bases his life he stands on. His eternal hope is based on that truth. And it's as solid as can be. A very simple message for Paul Christ died for our sins. And I believe it. And I believe it without a doubt in my mind that Jesus died for our sins on that cross. And I am so thankful for the grace of God. See, for Paul now, the cross meant liberty, it meant freedom. Freedom from himself. He mentioned that in Galatians 2.20. Freedom from his flesh, the flesh that was controlling him, Galatians 5.24. He was freed from the world that had too much influence in his life, Galatians here 6.14. And when you put your eyes on the death and the resurrection of Christ and the power of God to be released through that, you too can be freed from yourself. You too can be freed from the flesh that was controlling you. You too can be freed from the world that has so much say and play in your life. If you want to know the answer, God, how can I get rid of this out of my life? I don't want any money. Go to the cross. Put your eyes on Jesus Christ. He died for those sins on those cross. You must just believe in what he has done on the cross for you, and you'll be set free. You cannot earn it. You cannot perform it. You can't go get circumcised to help you do it. You have to just believe. And you'll be set free. Paul knew it. He's now lived it. It's no longer we who live. It is Christ who lives in us and through us. As we yield to him daily, yield to the Spirit of God moving in your life who lives inside you as a believer. You're yielding to him. When you, your flesh wants this, you yield to what God wants you to do. If the world tells you you need to do this, you don't, you don't entertain it. You yield to what God wants to do. You seek after him. God, what do you want me to do? When you're selfish and you want something for what you want, you, you stop and you yield to God. It's, I know what I want, but I want what you want. It's yielding. It's a decision-making daily, almost moment by moment at times. But the law, the law won't yield to that. The power of the law will not give victory to over the self and the flesh and the, and the, and the world. The law can't do it. 
The law appeals to actually to the human ego. If you have the law, if you give me a checklist, Pastor, tell me what I have to do so I can be able to do certain things, then you have this law mentality that all you have to do is check off the list, and then you get to earn the position or the ministry you would like to do. But that's not how it works. Because the law appeals to the human ego. You I can do something to please God. If you just tell me what I have to do, I can please God by just keeping the law and keeping those checklists to do. Because it encourages your flesh to do the work. The world doesn't care if we are religious. Did you notice that? The world really doesn't care if you're religious. Matter of fact, the darker your religion, the more the world accepts you. Why? Because you take out the cross, you take out Jesus Christ, the world accepts you. They'll actually promote you if you go against Jesus Christ and the cross. It's blatant as can be in our world as we watch the, the politics play out and in in watch the news. But Paul didn't sway him. He knew what the truth was. He knew what the, who Jesus Christ is, the person on the cross, and he understood the power of the cross and how it changed his life so radically. And nothing and no one was going to convince him otherwise. He knew the truth. Without a doubt, he understood that his freedom, his liberty, the, 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 what, the new creation, the, what God had done, a new birth in him was it was clear as can be because he was so embedded into the law, it was like a light switch turning on. He understood darkness and light. It was as clear as can be to him. But not only that, but Paul even knew the purpose of the cross in verse 16. He understood the purpose. The one person of the, of the cross was to bring a new creation. A new creation, the church, the body of Christ. The old creation was headed by Adam, and it ended in failure. But the new creation is headed by Christ and is going to succeed because we already know we have victory in Christ. Paul wrote to the Romans, if you remember, in Romans 5. And Paul explained the doctrine between two Adams. Adam and Christ. The first Adam disobeyed God and brought into the world sin, death, and judgment. But then Paul then says, but the last item, Adam, Jesus Christ, in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, says, oh, he obeyed God and brought life, righteousness, and salvation to people. Two contrasting people. The first Adam committed one sin and plunged the entire of all creation into judgment. Christ performed one act, one act of obedience in his death on the cross, and it paid for all the sins of the world. And because of Adam's sin, death reigns in this world. But because of the Christ's victory on the cross, we can reign in life through Jesus Christ. We see that in Romans 5.17. The believer, you, the believer, a child of God, born again believer, is the new creation, a spiritual creation, and knows nothing of the defects and limitations of the old cre creation. 
you've been made new. A new life has been given to you. Not only does it bring a new creation, but we see here in verse 16, the cross was to create a new nation. It was to bring into the world a new people of God. For centuries, the nation of Israel had been the people that God used as a light to bring people to God. And out of their disobedience, out of their unwillingness, God had a plan to bring his son himself down here to this earth to be the light and to bring, to, 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 uh, bring a way for people to come to Jesus Christ. And it's by the cross. Now that Christ had come and finished his great work of redemption, God had set aside the nation of Israel and brought into the world a new creation, a new nation, the Israel of God. Those who are governed by God, those whose lives are governed by God, you're a part of the church. If you don't allow God to govern your life, then don't consider yourself a Christian and be as part of God's church. Because if you're not allowing him to govern your life, how can you say you're a Christian, a child of God? How? But this is one of many names of the church found in the New Testament, the Israel of God. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it, Matthew 21, 43. But make sure you hear me. This does not mean that God is finished with the nation of Israel. The church does not replace the nation of Israel. Today, God is calling out both Jews and Gentiles, uh, people for his name, Acts 15, 14. And in Christ, there are no racial nor or national distinction to be saved. You are not to see things in color or nations or whatever as a distinction. You are saved as a child of God or you're not. There is no other distinction. And Paul clearly teaches, however, that, that there's a future in God's plan for the Jewish nation. And if you want to know that, go back to Romans and read chapters 9 through 11, especially 11. God has a specific purpose for the Israel and the nation of Israel for the end times. It's clear as can be in the scripture. And to change that, to add, to, to delete is a very big warning for you and I in the scriptures when you add and delete from the scriptures. Take note. But we see very clearly, yes, believers today may not be Abraham's children in the flesh, but they are Abraham's seed through the faith of Jesus Christ. And we saw Paul talk about that in chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. They have experienced a circumcision of the heart that is far more effective than the physical circumcision of the flesh. And for this reason, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is any consequence to God. It avails nothing. That's just the flesh and outward appearance. It's the heart that needs to be changed. He continues here as a third and final marked man, the loyalist, the apostle Paul himself in verses 17 and 18. He says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
Amen. So Paul here sits there. He's the third marked man. What markings is he referring to? See, Mark could wish nothing greater for the Galatian believers here as he's writing this letter to them. If they would just walk in the grace relationship with God instead of a legal, performance-based religion relationship that endangers them to be in bondage again. If he would, they would just walk in the grace of God, the love of God, they would just do that versus playing religion. He's like, I love them so much. How could they be anything other than that? Because there was a time when Paul was so proud of his markings of circumcision. Remember in Philippians 3, 4, and 6 that was read. He was so proud to be a Pharisee. I have been circumcised on the eighth day. I am in this family. and I am. He was so proud to be in his religious position. But after he became a believer, after he, became, he, he knew Jesus Christ, he became a marked man in such a different way. But now he doesn't glorify in his past things. He now glorifies in the scars that he has received in the suffering that he endured in the service of Jesus Christ. His markings were literally seen on his flesh. This man was stoned almost to death. This man was whipped and scarred, thrown into jail. Incredible a physical abuse to this man because he stood for the truth of Jesus Christ. He was not going to be compromising. Because he understood the truth. He understood what Jesus Christ did in his life and he changed him. No man, no woman is going to go through the persecution that comes with your relationship with Jesus Christ if it is lukewarm. You will compromise in a heartbeat. There will be a great falling away, the scripture tells, in the end times. Because when the pressure gets up and people come against you because of your faith, you are going to compromise, you are going to run, you will hide. But Paul wasn't a quitter, he wasn't a hider, he understood the radical change that took place in his life. He couldn't ignore what God did in his life. He says, my markings are as clear as can be. And I don't brag about them, these are just these are just brands. They're just, they're just, they're on my skin. They're clear that I am not, I didn't, I didn't put the markings. I didn't put the branding. I didn't tap myself to, to prove that I'm a Christian. Paul didn't do that himself. They came about because of his faithfulness to sharing the gospel of the truth of Jesus Christ to how to be saved by Jesus Christ, by justification, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. He didn't have to tat himself to prove anything. His markings were clear as can be what God had brought him through. And the faithfulness of God to bringing him through the challenges of life. Not because of his foolishness of going out and doing foolish things. He was out there faithfully serving God and he received these marks because of his faithfulness. These body scars that he even noted in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 through 33, proved that there was clear who he was sold out to. Not because he was foolish. Not because they were self-inflicted on him or by someone else. But it because it's caused pain on his physical body because of the fact that he would not back down to the truth of God. 
Now, in these times, it was not uncommon. Many people branded themselves. Many times people branded themselves because they had a heathen god or goddess that they had as an idol. And then because that was idol, that idol took over their flesh. And that flesh controlled them and said, you must mark yourself up for me. Not uncommon. So it was common to see people branded on their bodies for the goddess or god that they followed. Because he was proud of his god. He was proud and wanted others to know who their false god or goddess was. But Paul was branded as well for Jesus Christ, and it was not a temporary mark that could be removed, but a permanent mark that he would take to his grave. And he didn't receive his brand an easy way. He suffered repeatedly to be that marked man for Jesus Christ. It was a very common practice in that day that branding was placed on slaves so that everyone would know who the owner was of that slave. Paul was the slave of Jesus Christ and he wore his mark to prove it as well. But also keep in note, a person a sinful person also had brands. Sin brands a person for life. It may mark his mind. The sin may have twisted and marked his mind, messed his mind up. His sin could have messed up his personality. The sin could have branded him even his own body due to that sin. Few people are proud of their sin marks that they bear. Conversation does not change them, but thank God these changes will come when Jesus returns and takes them home and gives them a new body. Amen? Many times I can sit and I can tell is God moving and to share the gospel. I can see it on their face. I can see it on their body. I can see the, 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 the toils and the tribulation of the sinful life they live. It wears on them. Their body is, you think that you, they look like they're maybe their 60s, but they're only 40 because of the sin has just worn them out physically. You can see their personalities have changed because of the ravageness of drugs. Or the alcohol that is if they've abused their bodies, it's taken their minds and it's not clear anymore. Their skin has changed. Their personality has changed because of that sin. And God says, give your life to me and I will come in and I will restore you. I have got a new body and a new plan for your rest of your life here on this earth. But most important, into eternity. Will you trust me with your life? Believers today need to remember that it is the Christian who has suffered for Christ, who has something to offer. So many false teaching today, oh, you, you shouldn't be suffering, you should never be sick, and you should be wealthy. This word of faith, just name it, claim it. It is all false teaching, and you must stay away from it. It's through the persecutions, through these trials and tribulations that marks you as a man and marks you as a woman, as a child of God. 
And if God has allowed that to happen and a suffering to happen for Christ, then bring it on because it marks you as a child of God in what he has been doing and will continue to do through your life. They may, these Judaizers may have been persecuted for some small way of belonging for, to a religious group, but this is far different from the fellowship of his Christ's sufferings that we saw in Philippians 3.10. Beware. Paul saying in loving counsel, beware of the religious leader who lives in his ivory tower, who knows nothing of the battling against the world, the battling against the flesh, battling against the devil. He has no marks to show for his obedience to Jesus Christ. Mark it. Beware of that person. Paul was no rear general. He's not some general sitting in the back lines watching everyone else go to the front lines. Paul was a general who was a leader who went to the front lines and he was willing to take the, 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 the beatings and willing to take the risk and willing to go in the front lines and wage war against sin and take his share of sufferings. And Paul here comes to the end of his letter and he closes it just the way he began his letter Grace and not the law. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is the way of grace. Remember, Jesus Christ, he loves you. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. You have eternal life through him alone. There is no other way. There is one way, and that is by your relationship with Jesus Christ and what he has done and paying for the penalties of your sins on the cross. There is no other way to be saved. There is no religion that's going to save you. No sin you committed is so egregious where God cannot reach down and touch your life today. You are reachable by the great God. So don't let the enemy say, oh, I am such a wicked sinner. God will never forgive me. He will forgive you if you will just come to him today. And he'll reach down and he'll touch your life and save you and cleanse you from your sins. And you'll have no sin no longer. That will brand you. There'll be just the marking of Christ in your life. All that matters is the cross of Christ and your new birth. That's all that matters. We need him to be real in our life today. Not religion, but a relationship. And be a marked man for Jesus Christ.